This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Listen up, men. The ABC is testing a new prototype, codenamed Last Resort. It was designed by one of their top specialists, showrunner Sean Ryan. Now, we don't know yet if this Last Resort program is going to work, but if it does, well, that could be a game changer. Captain Johnson, Officer Harbin, I'm sending you on a reconnaissance mission. We want to know everything there is to know about this thing. Study it, analyze it, and report back. I expect weekly dispatches from St. Marina. The fate of our nation depends on it. So get to it. You have the con. The date is 9-26-2012. This is Dispatch 002 from the coast of St. Marina. The purpose of this message is to reveal our observations and assessment of the new prototype being launched by the ABC, codenamed Last Resort. This is Captain Johnson, and I'm joined today by my XO, Greg Harbin. Uh, thank you, sir. Permission to speak freely, please. Permission granted. Thank you, sir. How are you doing, Greg? I'm doing quite well, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. I'm excited to talk about Last Resort. Um, I've actually seen this pilot episode three times now. Wow, three times. I, I've watched it. I've watched it twice. So apparently, I'm not quite as hardcore as you are. <laughs> well, I just kept running into people that I wanted to introduce the show to. Nice. And, and say, hey, this is maybe a, a pilot. This is a, a show coming out this fall that you might want to consider checking out. So yeah, it's it's reminding me of back in two thousand four. I don't know if you remember, but the the pilot for Lost leaked a little early because they were airing it on some crazy satellite channel. So people were getting it. It was being passed around on the torrents. It's like early days of torrents. And I remember just telling everybody, guys, you have to watch Lost. This is going to be the next big thing. And I, I'm kind of getting that same feeling out of Last Resort. I, I'm glad that many of the networks have decided to go ahead and start releasing uh, their pilots for free on sites like Hulu um, weeks in advance before they air, because that just gives us time to watch them and think about them and decide whether or not we're going to stick with it. I'd like to get started today, Greg, just by having you give our listeners a, a, a brief synopsis of this first uh, pilot episode of Last Resort. And then we can discuss uh, what, what we thought of it. This is, of course, the, the first episode is titled Captain. And it was directed by Martin Campbell, who most people might recognize as the director of Casino Royale. So it's a pretty big name directing this episode. It was written by Sean Ryan, who's the creator of the show, and Carl Gajdusek. I think is how you pronounce it. Gajdusek. It's a very foreign, potentially threatening name, so we'll need to, we need to note that. Why don't you go ahead and tell our listeners what happened? Absolutely. So basically, the show itself is set on a nuclear sub, the USS Colorado, that is captained by Marcus Chaplin. And he's got an exo, Sam Kendall, played by Scott Speedman. Oh, I should say Chaplin is played by Andre Brar. And basically, they're just chugging along as normal when they receive orders from a secondary system in the Antarctic saying to fire, what, two of their Tomahawk nuclear missiles at Pakistan. And this I sort think of comes, four of them. Four, Jesus. So it, it sort of comes out of nowhere that, that they're supposed to be doing this. They surface and they, they see that there's basically nothing going on. Washington's not been hit. There's no reason it's not coming through the proper channels. So Chaplin tries to get the Secretary of State or the President on the line to say, you know, why are we doing this? Can I get confirmation? They remove him from command, 
and order his XO to do the same thing. And then his XO asks for the same thing, the same confirmation, at which point they get shot at. And it turns out that they were shot at by the USS Illinois, uh, which almost sinks them. And meanwhile, back in Washington, they're being told that the Colorado was sunk by the Pakistanis. And we learned that Pakistan is now being shot at. And I believe at this point, they're hit with two missiles. They don't know what to do. They're kind of panicking that the whole Navy's after them. And Chaplin takes back command of the ship and says, look, we're going to set course for this island where there's a, a NATO station. And we're going to take over this island and basically try to protect ourselves until we can figure out what's going on. And it basically comes to a head when there are two B-2 bombers that are bearing down on the island, right, just to blow it all up. And Chaplin fires a missile at Washington, D.C. and says, if the bombers aren't turned around, I'm going to detonate the missile. And he gives them a deadline of two minutes. Now, eventually, the bombers do turn around, but... It's after the deadline, and Chaplin detonates the missile, but not over Washington. He detonates it in the in the ocean, although that's still pretty dangerous. <laughs> but uh, basically, he says, you know, I'm a man of my word, and he declares a no man's land around this island and says, I'm the owner of this now. Everyone better stay away. We'll let you know what's happening next. Yeah, that's a pretty good summary. Um, obviously, there's some other supporting characters and things that, that we can talk about over the course of oh, the episode. Yeah. But overall, that is that was the plot. I would like to start out pretty, pretty general and ask you, uh, Executive Officer Harbin, just, just give me your overall impressions of this pilot episode. Is Last Resort something that we should be taking seriously or not? So taking it seriously, that's an interesting question. So I was approaching the show as thinking, you know, this is going to be fun. This is going to be, you know, sort of an adventure show. I love shows set like this with maybe a small crew on a ship. It sort of reminded me of Firefly in a way. When I actually got to the show, I found it to be a bit darker than I expected. A bit more, how do I even say, a bit more gray than I was expecting it to be. There's characters that I think are supposed to be heroes who are doing things I don't entirely agree with. And people who are supposedly on the show bad guys who are doing things I don't entirely argue with. There's a, this whole debate about following orders. And I'm thinking about what I would want a sub-captain to do if he's ordered to fire. I mean, if America gets annihilated because submarine commanders decide to mutiny, that's not really a good thing. So it started me thinking down this whole path of, Wow, this, this show is really tackling more powerful issues than I really expect from a network show. I really think it's, it's worth watching, worth talking about, and worth thinking about. And I, I really can't wait to see where it's headed and, and how it tackles these issues. I agree with you. I'm not sure how accurate its depiction of nuclear submarine politics is. Mm -hmm. um, I'm not sure if nuclear submarine captains actually do have the ability to launch nuclear missiles on their own should they get the order maybe they do but but i was a little bit I'm, I'm not quite sure if that's the case though because as you mentioned that is a lot of power and yeah. if a submarine captain went rogue that could be a, extremely dangerous right suspending my disbelief <laughs> uh, I, I, I think that was uh, I think it's a very interesting pilot a very um, exciting premise 
my overall feeling about the episode was that it needed to be 10 minutes longer. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you got that impression, but it is cut and it's edited at such a breakneck pace. Um, And there are so many characters to introduce and so many ideas to introduce that I'm glad that I went back and rewatched it a second and a third time because there are certain things that weren't quite clear Mm -hmm. the first time around that I think were made a bit clearer uh, when I saw it again, just because they they happened so quickly. Yeah, I, I really felt like this was a pilot that wanted to be 90 minutes. Right. That it was it was probably 60, min- 60 pages, and they cut it down and just cut it down. I, I absolutely got that feeling. Because, uh, you know, there's episodes of Battlestar Galactica where I heard Ronald Moore talk later on. It's like, uh, this episode would be much better, but we were stuck with 42 minutes. And it's not, I don't feel like the pilot was hurt terribly, but I absolutely see what you're saying by those repeat viewings made me go, oh, I see. Okay, so that's how they connected these dots. Because on a first viewing, it just shoots past. I mean, it, it, it starts out and it's Navy SEALs, you know, getting the hell out of Pakistan yep. on their little uh, life raft. And you've got a group of Navy SEALs. One of them appears to be injured. You don't know what the situation is. So then suddenly there's the submarine and all these other characters. And it just throws you into the action. Yeah. And it doesn't really give you much time to breathe. And then there's other stuff going on in Washington with this uh, the, the developer of this prototype system that's on board the submarine. And then there's an admiral and the family of uh, a few of the, uh, the members of the crew. And it's a very, very wide-reaching show with a pretty large scope. And I do feel like it, it would have benefited if it had had a full hour instead of, say, 45, 50 minutes to actually tell the story. So that is one drawback, I think, to being on a network is that you got to put up with breaks for ads. And I, and I wouldn't be surprised if we eventually see an extended captain on the DVD eventually, because it just feels like there is that. I'm actually trying to think of another show that has this sort of expansive. I mean, you've got Washington, you've got this island, you've got the sub. We're probably going to start seeing Pakistan, too. Is there another show you can think of that just is this world spanning? Even the West Wing was typically set just in Washington, D.C., I don't think so. Not that I can think of off the top of my head. Yeah. I'm sure they're out there. So if any of our listeners want to write in and let us know of some similar shows, uh, you can email lastresort at filmgeekradio.com and remind us. But I can't think of any off the top of my head. Well, I, I mean, I guess, I guess there are shows like Heroes um, or Flash Forward that sort of did the same thing. I guess what's hitting me here is that it's got scenes set in the White House. So it's kind of a West Wing show, plus a submarine show, plus an island show. Is it a submarine show? I'm wondering how much mm-hmm. of the series is actually going to be set on the submarine. I mean, they're at the island now, so I imagine most of their time is going to be spent hanging out on the island, getting to know people. You know, maybe they sleep on the submarine, but I'm not sure they'll really need to go back to the submarine for for a whole lot. That is a good question. I mean, obviously, they sort of rushed back to the submarine to fire the tomahawk at Washington, but I can't really think of any reason they'd have to leave the island. Obviously, it's they're shooting in Hawaii, and that's an expensive location to be at, and they want to use that as much as possible. So I can't imagine there's going to be too many shows where they like set off in the submarine towards open water and just 
play the show out there. So that is going to be interesting to see, like, what is the dynamic of this show week to week? You know, I was reading Ken Levine's blog today, and he was talking about premise pilots, where sort of the pilot is completely different from the rest of the show because it has to set up the concept of the show, and it doesn't really give you an idea of what it's going to be like week to week. And I think we're definitely seeing that here because I doubt we'll see submarines firing on submarines every week. We're not going to get, you know, nuclear missiles fired every week. Probably most of the show is going to be more like the one scene where the, the Navy SEAL is threatening the, what is he, sort of like a, a warlord and his henchmen. It's probably going to be a lot of that and right. a lot less of the more action-adventure stuff. Right. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. As, as you mentioned, the purpose of the pilot is basically just to get things rolling. And I think as a result, this pilot feels very plot-driven at mm -hmm. times, but they do do their best to throw in some good character moments and start establishing uh, character development when they can. But is, is there anything else you would like to say overall about this pilot before we move on to another topic? I think we've touched on it pretty well up till now. Obviously, there's a lot to cover that we're going to get to. I, even in, in coming weeks, I'm sure we'll get to them. One thing I was really surprised at is that we don't meet the president in the pilot. I really, we only see this one admiral in Washington. And I'm wondering, are we going to see the president coming up? Is he going to be hidden? Is he going to be killed? And that's the main thing. This, this pilot brings up all these questions of what's actually going on in Washington and doesn't answer them at all. It's very focused on just the ca this captain and his crew. And in a lot of ways, I liked that. I liked the focus of the pilot. Right. All we're told is that the president is facing uh, impeachment charges. Mm -hmm. So he's clearly not very popular. Right. And it's implied that the order to fire was given by someone who wasn't acting under the authority of the president, some sort of shadow group or maybe some sort of network of people that are trying to start a, a coup or basically just go behind the president's back. Right. So it'll be interesting to see how that conspiracy yeah. unfolds. Yeah, I think that's one of the things you get out of a second viewing is where you start noticing the seals and and their role in it. As I, I think one of them says, you know, the intel was wrong. So right. the intel was wrong. And when they first arrive on the USS Colorado, uh, there's that brief moment where one of them, I think his name is Gil, the guy who dies. He right. looks at King, played by Daniel Lissing, and just says, what happened back there? Right. So clearly something went wrong with their mission. Uh, they, I think someone at one point says that they shot the wrong guy or they, they shot the wrong people. So to some extent, all of this stems from what happened with them in Pakistan. Right. Yeah. I mean, talk about in me in what, how do you pronounce it? In meteor res, just jumping right. into the middle of the story. Like that's, we absolutely jumped right smack in the middle of it. And that's, I think why Martin Campbell was such a good choice for this. Cause I mean, Casino Royale, just moves. It just throws you from, from place to place. I love that film. And this is one of those cases where you get a feature feeling on TV. Oh, absolutely. I think in many respects, it does feel like either a, a feature film or at least a TV movie. I will say, though, the aesthetic of the show seems a bit odd to me. Hmm. And it seems a bit 
safe. Uh, the production values are fairly high, and yet everything is still pretty well lit. There's a lot of harsh light being thrown on the actors and on the True. sets. Um, there's not a whole lot of really deep shadows. Mm-hmm. That's very true. And I do think that aesthetically that, that is a difference. And I don't know if it's just a budgetary thing that you know doesn't allow for more dynamic lighting. But if you look at shows like uh, Game of Thrones, for example, mm. or even Mad Men and, and, and Breaking Bad, some of those scenes are just so dark. Yeah. There's a really great use of shadows in this show. Maybe it's because it's a it's a network series, and mm-hmm. as you mentioned, it is kind of dark at times thematically. So maybe they want to aesthetically keep things a bit safer and a bit lighter. I don't know yeah. the reasoning behind it, but yeah, it did kind of feel like they had sort of the lighting rig from Hunt for October, and then from The West Wing, and then from Lost, and they just right wherever whichever location they're at, they just used that as it was yeah the show itself so far at least hasn't set its own its own feeling like it doesn't have its own color palette its own lighting setup and i I wonder if they'll be able to do that or if as you say yeah they are just trying to be a little bit safe and allow the the visuals just to just sort of be there and allow the story to speak for itself um the other thing i want to mention technically is the music and some of the acting it's kind of painful (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> at times, honestly, especially in the first half of the episode and, and some of the more emotional scenes, especially when you've got flashbacks to Commander Kendall and his wife and them saying goodbye. And then she is at home finding out that he supposedly died. And right. it all gets a bit melodramatic. And of course, in the background, you've got that music just swelling. And it did feel a bit overdone. To me. I honestly didn't even remember the music from the pilot. Was it really just standard TV melodramatic music? It was pretty standard in those mm-hmm. scenes. And I, I couldn't even tell you what the music sounds like. Yeah. I can just tell you that it's emotional and it's loud. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> At certain points. Um, and I feel like, especially when it comes to the, the more emotional beats that a show has to go through, I tend to prefer it when scenes like that take place either in silence or near silence. You know, you don't necessarily need this big swelling score in the background if your writing is good and if your actors are, you know, talented enough to really communicate that emotion without the music. Yeah, the one thing I do remember is just sort of not liking the music during Chaplin's big speech at the end that we're going to get to later. I remember the music kind of underscoring it too much that I almost feel like his words could have stood on their own and it didn't need that that constant swelling. I didn't mind the music at, at that point quite as much. The thing that bothered me about that is that it's this really fantastic monologue and Andre Brower kills it oh, yeah. and does such a fantastic job with it. But again, because it's only a 45-minute pilot or whatever – and they 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 have to wrap things up. They just keep cutting, yeah, to different things to show you uh, how how each character you know where it's basically saying this is where we're leaving each character right. before we end this pilot. So you can get a feel for what is in store for them in the future. I felt like that was a bit distracting, and ideally, most of that time would have been spent just focused on Andre Brower as Chaplin. Yeah. It's like the editor kind of said, oh, 
we're we're five minutes from the end. It's montage time, right? And just completely missed that there's this dramatic speech happening. And I think almost if the first time, especially the first time viewer, isn't really paying attention, he doesn't even notice what the captain's saying because it's easy just to assume that he's saying some stuff about truth, justice, and the American way, just as an undercurrent. I mean, he's saying a lot more than that. And yeah, I wish we had just been focused on him and then then do our montage if, if we have to. Right. I know that I've seen shows in the past where big speeches were given over montages, but I feel like what's different about this one is that this one was just cut so quickly. Yeah. And there were so many characters they had to throw in and, and cover that it really was distracting. Let me ask you, what, what else do you want to be sure to bring up in this pilot episode before we get on to our main topic? I did want to move into talking a little bit about the acting, because obviously we can talk about Andre Brower and just how, how amazing he is. I'm um, not really sure what else I've seen him in. I know you're, you're a big fan of his. I mean, he was on Homicide, which I never watched. What, what do you actually know him from? I know him from the... He was in the film The Mist. That's right. He was in The Mist, wasn't he? He was fantastic in that. Yes. And most okay. recently, he was on that TNT show, Men of a Certain Age, which I didn't see, but I heard he was great. Oh, that's the one with Scott Bakula, right? Yes. <laughs> I meant to watch that. I, hear, I heard it was hilarious. It only lasted a, a couple seasons, though. But I guess he, he really likes working with Scott's, because now he's got Scott Speedman. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, he was, and he, he did a recurring role on House that I remember him being really good in. Oh, okay. He was the psychiatrist. I don't, I don't know if you watched House. I, I never really got into House. But. Okay. But, I mean, you put, you put him and Hugh Laurie in scenes together, and it's just it's really, really good. I'm sure. I, I got to be honest, though, with the exception of Andre Brower, none of the performances in this pilot really uh, impressed me. It's sort of all hinging on him, and the rest of the people are just kind of there just to be there. Scott Speedman isn't bad, but I feel like he's one of those people you go to when you just need your typical good-looking 20-something, maybe 30-something. I mean, it kind of reminds me of Matthew Fox from Lost, not to keep bringing up Lost. Right. Not a fantastic actor, but a name that people know, I guess, but it's not terribly expensive to to get. Right. I, I, I felt that way about most of the actors you know i'm not sure if it's their performance or just some of the dialogue they're forced to say mm -hmm. but overall I, I wasn't really drawn to any of the actors they all just kind of seem like a bunch of pretty faces on a submarine yeah. with the exception of robert patrick who does <laughs> look like a grizzled old veteran yes <laughs> he could actually be uh on a submarine <laughs> yes a, a friend of mine pointed out Oh, look, the T-1000 is 100 years old. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's so good. He, he played the, the chief of the boat, uh, sort of, I think they call him Cop. Or they call him Cop or Cobb sometimes. I felt like they, they were calling call him Cobb for chief of the boat. Right. But he sort of, he seems to be not in charge, but he's sort of in charge of everything going on on the boat. If somebody needs to be arrested, get Prosser. And yeah, he was bringing a lot to the role, and I kind of was disappointed when the crew kind of splits in two. There's people who are agreeing with the decision to not mutiny, but question orders. And then there's the people who say, no, we need to follow orders at all costs. And Robert Patrick's character kind of goes with them. And in a way, I'm happy because then we've got this really good actor 
that I, you know, I believe everything he says and does. And so he's on their side. I like that a lot. I just wish he was on my side because his <laughs> well, character so good. I kind of don't. That that seemed a little bit realistic to me, the idea that this older guy who's clearly been in the Navy for quite a while, mm-hmm. he's a little bit set in his ways. He's arguably sexist um, oh, yeah. and not used to women in the military. Um, and it makes sense to me that he would be more focused on procedure than questioning orders, you know? Right. If we get the order, we execute the order. That's our job. That's what we do. That's the way we've always done it. Yeah. Um, that's the way we did it during the Cold War, et cetera, et cetera. So I, 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 I'm really interested to see what they do with that character. Again, I feel like with there was so much happening in this pilot that we didn't really get to spend a lot of time with him and figure out who he is other than uh, one of the – he's clearly an antagonist. I, I loved his line, and it does sort of get skipped over, where the missiles do get fired on Pakistan by probably the, the Illinois. And he comes up to Chaplin and says, the fight started. It's not too late to get into it. And, I mean, he gets brushed away. You know, Chaplin continues to go towards uh, the island. I was like, wow, he's – even now, he's saying, look – we need to go. This, it's not too late to just follow orders, step in the line. This will probably probably all be forgotten. And that's sort of the last moment before he solidly turns on Chaplin, where he's still kind of on their side. So, yeah, he's going to be one of those things definitely to watch on the show. Well, arguably, Chaplin listens to him and does get involved just in his own way. Right. That's very true. <laughs> So I, I don't think Chaplin totally brushes him off. I do want to say, though, Andre Brower, just he's so good in that final monologue. You're not really sure what to think of Chaplin. And we'll yeah. talk about this a little bit more when we, when we move on to our main topic. But if you, if you watch how he's delivering these lines, he, he appears confident and he appears very forceful. But there is a slight tremor mm-hmm. in his face. And his, yeah. he's he's trembling ever so slightly, and you really get the impression at times that he is scared to death. Yeah. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's just putting on this front and trying to be the crazy, confident guy that he needs to be to save all their lives. Well, they, they sort of bring the parallel to Reagan, where Reagan fired the air traffic controllers when they went on strike. And... He tells Kendall, the XO, that Reagan wanted to show Gorbachev in, in Russia that he was crazy, just a little bit crazy. And so now he's showing the American people and he's showing who, who's ever in charge in Washington that he's a little bit crazy. Now, I don't think he's that crazy. I think he knows to some extent exactly what he's doing and his finger's not quite as close to the button as you as you think. But, you know, there's that certain point where Kendall thinks he's actually going to blow up Washington. And I think as a viewer, we're thinking he might blow up Washington. Although, you know, it's sort of in the back of your mind, okay, this is TV, this is the hero, he's not going to do it. But even then, he doesn't destruct it. He still blows it up. And that's a lot more than I expected him to do. You know, find me another hero who blows up a nuclear missile on American soil, or, you know, at least in American waters. Right. And again, I just think that Andre Brower really does bring an extra dimension 
to that character because you're not sure what to think of him. You're not sure, is this guy on our side? Is he actually a villain? And in Brower's performance, we see that he has potential to be both. Mm-hmm. You know, he he does want to do the right thing. He, he does want to do what's best for his crew. But at the same time, he does have his finger on the button. And that's a lot to handle. And he could run away with that power. Or he could just really be afraid of that power. And I think in that final monologue, uh, when they aren't cutting to montage, and they actually do show <laughs> him in close-up, you can tell he's just conflicted and kendall makes the state you know he says when they turn off the camera just crazy enough right because i think brower and even the character could have come across as sort of a wide-eyed madman and i think if he'd done that it would have even made sense for them just to go ahead and blow him up (laughs) just go ahead blow up the whole island if he fires a missile well that's better than him firing them later on we need to just go ahead and blow this guy up where he's at right now, he's a guy that you're not entirely sure what to do with. Right. Some friends of mine were talking about, let's see, it was the Down in Front podcast, and they're doing a commentary for the film Speed. And they were talking about Dennis Hopper's character and how he's sort of a villain that's fun to watch. You kind of want him to be on screen. You kind of actually understand where he's coming from. And they were they were bemoaning the fact that We've kind of gotten away with that or gotten away from that in this sort of post 9-11 world. Everything's cut and dried. The villains are villains. The good guys are good guys. You know, we see it every time a an older book is made into a film. I think it was Summer of All Fears went from being kind of villains you could you could understand, even though they're still villains, to very cut and dried bad guys, just cardboard cutouts in the, the Ben Affleck film. But here we see someone who could be construed as a villain. You know, this is definitely not a hero. I think a hero, he would at least say, look, I'm not going to do it. Court martial me, but I'm just going to come home. He's taking it a step further, not just saying I'm not going to shoot a missile. He's saying I'm going to take control of the situation. I'm going to find out what's going on in Washington. I'm going to, I don't know what he's going to do, but he's taking it further than just saying, I'm not going to contribute to the evil that I see. Well, do you think that's who he is, or do you think that's just based on the fact that he doesn't know if he can get home? You know, could they make it home without being shot down by their own people? Well, that's true. That's true. There is that that fear that they were already shot on by the Illinois, and he feels this need to protect his crew. I wonder what's going on in his past. Typically, a character like this would be, you know, he's on his last mission, He's this grizzled old man, and he's just saying, I'm not going to take it, not this time. But no, he's he's a career military guy that, you know, obviously he's trusted by those in Washington. And it does seem like he's more coming to it from the perspective of, I need to protect my crew. I don't have anyone at home just to go back to. I don't want to go to prison. But yeah, I think you're right that he doesn't want to just get blown up and go away. He wants to keep fighting. Well... It's interesting you you bring that up, though, because he does have someone. His son is fighting in Afghanistan, and we see that photograph. So clearly he does have someone in his life, but then by the end of the episode, he's reached that point where he's just kind of like, well, maybe this is our home now. Maybe we can't go back to the United States. And I'm not – that's kind of weird to me, the fact that he would have a son, but – 
would still not be as as concerned about getting back to the United States. And that that scares Kendall and Shepard. Uh, we haven't talked much about Lieutenant Commander Shepard or Lieutenant Shepard, but that kind of scares them when he tells them that, that maybe this is home now. I don't think they really understand his motivations, and I certainly don't understand his motivations. And that's perhaps a good segue into our, our main topic for the week, uh, which is a question that you posed to me uh, a few days ago, in which um, I think it's a very interesting question. And that's, is Chaplin a terrorist? Is he a good guy? Or is he actually a terrorist? He's firing nuclear missiles at Washington. He's taken over this NATO command station and basically said, this is mine. Yep. He's disobeying orders. Is this guy a terrorist? Yeah. And I mean, even that video that he shoots feels so much like, you know, a video sent out by Middle East terrorists where they're sort of stating their demands. And I'm looking and trying to figure out, well, how is this different? You know, okay, he's not wearing a mask, but that just means he's not scared. But he is at the very, I mean, just look at the definition of the word terrorist. He is that. Right. He's saying, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to rain fiery hell down upon you and we will all burn together. Wow. That's <laughs> now you, you can debate his motives. And I guess this is the question the show's posing is, is terrorism okay if done for the correct motives? Is terrorism just a label? As the saying right. goes, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Right. Now, didn't you just see a film that sort of tackled these issues too? Th th there have been films that, that tackle that idea of what is a terrorist? Isn't the U.S. kind of acting like, uh, like terrorists in certain ways? Um, and kind of questioning what that label is means. But this is just one element of the show that I find fascinating. I, I, I'm really interested to see how this show tackles these different social and political ideas. And in many ways, I feel like Last Resort is operating as a form of American wish fulfillment for its viewers. Hmm. Um, it is critiquing the actions of the United States and how we have acted towards different countries in the world in the past, but also saying we can get better, and wouldn't it be nice? Isn't it great that there are people like Shepard and Chaplin out there who can question that? I was just kind of stunned by all of the parallels that are brought up in this episode. I mean, clearly in the universe of the show, the U.S. is at war in Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. The president is very unpopular. You've got Chaplin who takes, who invades an island. That's what he is. He is invading this island mm -hmm. and taking over by force, which is arguably very similar to what President Bush did uh, when he invaded Iraq and Afghanistan. You've got the threat of nuclear weapons, but at the same time, is Chaplin this tragic George W. Bush-esque figure or is he the charismatic black Obama-esque leader who we all hope is going to change things and, and right. lead us out of all this? Right. You know, and there's just a lot of different levels that the show is operating on. And I'm, I'm really impressed by all that it's trying to do. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to see, as you say, who is the president? Because it's very possible that, that the, the president will be a, a main character when the show continues. You think so? Do you, th- you think, well, do you think it's necessary to discover who the president is? If indeed a lot of this was inspired by other people in the administration, you know, it's implied the president might not even know about it. I mean, the secretary That's of defense true. doesn't get on the line to, to give the order. I think it's, it's important to know where this is coming from, where these orders are originating from, when when the seals talk about you know our intel is wrong we fired on the wrong people what what is that what is going on you know is this a sort of wag the dog situation where the president's trying to distract from the impeachment by starting a war or is there actually something going on i'd be interested to see if the show ends up showing us that this war is necessary or that the people who gave the orders at least were acting in good faith but aside from that um to keep it focused on chaplin This is a question of the man with the button. Like, there's always that idea that if everything comes down to it, and I guess it's more of a Cold War thing, but if America decides to fire all of its nukes at Russia and Russia decides to fire all of its nukes at America, maybe all the actual people sitting in the nuclear bunkers and with the in the nuclear subs, maybe they'll all just say no. We're not going to do that. It's kind of funny to think that it could possibly happen, but it's kind of comforting. And it's interesting to see this being brought up here. Obviously, this is one one sub-captain in one sub, and it, it doesn't stop all, this, uh, all the nukes from being launched. And it goes against all the principles of the military. So it's right. these conflicting things. Like, I want military people following orders because you don't win wars without people following orders. And at the same time, if orders are crazy... I do want someone out there who's actually thinking. Right. And who is going to question those orders? Yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And I'm, I'm curious to see what the ultimate attitude is that the show will have towards nuclear weapons. Mm-hmm. You know, because obviously that's a huge issue as to whether or not we should even have nuclear weapons. Yeah. <laughs> obviously, you know, the United States is the only country that's ever used them in an act of war, but they are so powerful and they are so destructive. Is it right for any nation to have them or are they a necessity for our own security? And that is an interesting question that I really hope the show dives into because you're right, that is a lot of power. You know, what what would happen if Chaplin gave the order to fire and his men didn't obey him? Exactly, yeah. So it is a very messy uh messy situation it'll be interesting to see how the show portrays that in the future how realistic do you think it is that we would fire nukes on pakistan just in in real life we we see two missiles get shot i don't know what i think it was three were. i mean th- th- that's one thing that that unfortunately was one of the things that was cut out of this mm-hmm. really really tight pilot was that you don't really have time to process the fact that israel nuked Pakistan. Yeah. Okay. We are at nuclear war. Yeah. So in in the universe of the show, now the U.S. has launched nuclear weapons against Japan in World War II, and now a U.S. ally, Israel, has nuked Pakistan. Was it Israel? I I never quite 
picked up on who fired those missiles. I think it's a, it's a quick mention. Oh wow! By the people at the at the NATO station, I think they do say that it's Israel who's doing it because Israel is close to Pakistan. And again, you know, it has something to do with the seals and what oh, went yeah. down with them, but we're not quite sure what it is yet exactly. I'll have to pick that up on a future one because obviously, yeah, as you say, we dropped a couple nuclear bombs on Japan. That was when we didn't really understand what they were, what they could do. We were just trying to end the war at all costs. We didn't use them in Korea. We didn't use them in Vietnam. And we haven't used them in either of the Gulf Wars. There were times that they definitely could have. You know, how many times could we have just ended the Vietnam War if we just nuked a whole bunch of stuff? Well, I think that's because after World War II, everyone just kind of realized we probably should not have these things. You know, this is power that man was not meant to harness because they they are just so incredibly destructive. So clearly, whatever happened with those seals was a big deal if if it would lead to the use of nuclear weapons. Yeah, I guess I thought we were kind of away from it. You know, post-Cold War, you know, even if whatever's going on in Russia right now, I still don't feel like we're on the brink of nuclear war with Russia anymore. But this show kind of postulates that we still are on the brink, that there are still people in Washington who, given the right set of circumstances, won't hesitate just to order a nuclear strike. And if nothing else, that's terrifying. I, I've always hear that quote, I'm gonna I'm going to mangle it, but about how independent film is meant to discomfort and mainstream film is meant to, you know, encourage what, whatever the, the main feeling is and good feelings. And here's something very mainstream that is very discomforting. And it's not something I want to think about. I don't want to think about the prospect of nuclear war. But here it is, ABC saying this could very well happen tomorrow. Right. In many ways, I was getting a Battlestar Galactica vibe from the show, not only because it's set in a submarine, which is kind of similar to a spacecraft. So it's just kind of like what it would be like on that sort of uh, ship, either in the water or in space. There's not a whole lot of difference. And also that idea of annihilation and what happens when there is a force out there that could want to just end everything. Um, Mm -hmm. And we have heard in the news over the past few years, you know, nuclear weapons are a concern when it comes to the Middle East and when it comes to terrorists. You know, what happens if a terrorist cell gets their hands on a nuclear weapon? What happens if Iran gets the bomb? You know, that's something that has – that's an issue that has popped up in the news over the past few years. So the show is definitely using those fears as a launching point. But getting again, getting back to the original question you posed, is Chaplin the terrorist now with the yeah. bomb? Is he this crazy guy who is, is he is he is he a bad guy? Is he a threat? Yeah. I, I find it really interesting the way that he phrases certain things in his monologue and how he doesn't really frame this as it's us versus you. He frames it as we're in this together. You know, we will live together or we will all burn together, basically, which I think is a very, very different type of attitude than we're used to seeing with these types of shows and these types of movies. Usually it's, I'm going to nuke you because I'm right and you're wrong. 
But in this show, it's kind of like, well, nobody's fully right. Nobody's fully wrong. Right. We have to work together if we're going to get through this. Yeah. I mean, what outcome do you think he sees from this? Under what situation is he going to feel safe to leave St. Marina? I'm really not sure. It's kind of implied that he, to a certain extent, doesn't want to go back to the United States. He's a bit disillusioned with things over there. He prefers life on the boat underwater, and you know he would probably prefer life on this island. So I'm not sure that's really his top priority. Yeah, and and that is interesting. That does sort of bring up a Battlestar Galactica feel, kind of Battlestar meets Lost. Like, let's just pretend the rest of the world doesn't exist, and we're going to do our own thing now and try to figure out what's going on out there. And if we can make a difference, let's make a difference. I, I am interested to see, are they going to get into the war? I mean, I can't see them getting on, on Pakistan's side because I'm sure there's, you know, it's not like they're good, like that's a good side to be on, but it's also like America's not a good side. So how do you fight a war when you're just one submarine? And is, is that what he envisions? I, I don't think they're just a submarine anymore. I think what... Chaplin has done is he's basically said this is no longer uh, a war with two sides okay yeah I'm a third player in this we've got this island we're we, we've got this 200 mile buffer zone around the island we're basically a new nation that I'm in charge of we're a nuclear power you need to notice us and pay attention to us because we're a player in this now I mean it, it would be similar to like I don't know Madagascar getting nuclear <laughs> weapons or something. And suddenly they're a superpower in that respect. Right. That needs right. to be uh, considered. That's basically what Chaplin has done. Is is there anything else you'd like to say about this episode? I, I know there's so much more we could talk to. Yeah. The only thing I will say is that um, Autumn Reeser, the actress oh, who, yes. who plays Kylie Sinclair, who's, who is that lobbyist who has a prototype on board the submarine, I just want to say that that introductory scene with her, yes. all I can think to myself is, wow, this is the network version of Sex Position from yes, Game exactly. of <laughs> It's how do we uh, have both a love scene and deliver massive amounts of information at the same time? And right. of course, Game of Thrones has pretty much made an art <laughs> out of that. They really have. And this show is like, well, we can't be quite as graphic as them. So we'll do what we can. I, I wonder if they haven't gone too far. I mean, I understand. Okay, you've got to lay down all this exposition. It's very helpful exposition. But it's very easy just to tune all of that out and just pay attention to what's going on on screen. Right. Um, that happens in Game of Thrones a few times with me, too. Like, I will have to go back and watch a scene again because I just was not paying attention. It, it actually was kind of important. Right. You're like, oh, oh I'm sorry, boobs, boobs, yeah. distracted. <laughs> Exactly. Can't, can't focus. What is going on with her? Like, she kind of says she's got a cloaking device on the, on the sub, where well, I, well, if they I, okay. turn a switch, it suddenly can't be detected. What? Yeah, what it does is it gets rid of their magnetic signal. Yeah. So I guess that means that it, they can't be detected by radar, or what the deal was. I, I'm, right. I wasn't quite sure. So was that working throughout the pilot? Was that functioning? Or have they not turned it on yet? You know, it, it seemed to me like they hadn't turned it on. Like they didn't even talk about it. The people on the sub never talked about it. And it was kind of this weird disconnect where she was talking about how she had it on there and it was important and she wanted to advance her own agenda to the admiral. 
by saying, look, I know it was on there and I know that you guys fired on the sub. And if you don't let me put my prototype on another sub, I'm going to tell everyone. And she's probably just going to get shot. And that's too bad. But they never talked on the sub about how they have this switch that they can turn. Well, I think I, th- I think it was working, though, because was it? the because the NATO station at first, they don't realize that there's a sub out there. They, they would have. They would have noticed. They just see they? the uh, the the trail from the missile that was fired, yeah. and that's why they're trying to figure out why was there a missile fired, what's going on. They don't notice that there's a sub out there until it actually surfaces. So that makes me think that maybe it was working. The Illinois knew they were there. That's the one thing. Uh, maybe they just hadn't. Were they in communication with the Illinois? That could have been. What was because they were kind of back and forth with Washington. Maybe yeah. Washington knew their coordinates. I'm oh, maybe just sure. they could zero. I don't. This is sort of showing how I, you know, I've never been in the Navy. I don't know that much. It's possible that because they were just transmitting radio signals, that they were really easy to spot, and that, right. that's probably what's going on. Maybe if they're down deep and they're not transmitting anything, yeah, they can go silent, and that's going to help in future episodes. If they do want to leave the island to go on missions, they can slip through undetected and that'll hopefully help them not just get blown up because it's gonna be an awfully boring show if the sub just gets blown up in like you know episode four well exo harbin i feel like you and i should know how these things work in the military uh but (laughs) we don't um and again that's one of those things that because the pilot is so tight it would have been nice to have a little bit of extra explanation as as to how that was working yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to talk about? There's there's one more hypothetical I want to throw out there to sort of end the show. But before I do that, is there, is there anything else you want to mention? No, let, let, let's go ahead and hear your hypothetical. Okay. So this is probably not going to happen, but I'm just going to I'm going to throw it out there. So ABC is the same network that Lost was on. Obviously, ever since that show was successful, most of the networks have been trying to imitate that success. And the interesting thing about Lost was that, judging from the pilot, you just thought it was going to be primarily an island survival show. Yeah. And then it turned out to be something completely different, supernatural, monsters, creatures, really kind of crazy. Yeah. So my question to you, Greg, is what if Last Resort turns out to be that kind of show? What if... The reason this big conspiracy went down is because there's there's something there's a sci-fi element in place that we're not aware of. What if Andre Brower is the smoke monster? Is that basically what you're asking? Yes. What if okay, what if this secret shadow organization in government that's trying to pull the sp- the strings, what if there's actually some alien overlords? that mm. have visited and they're the ones kind of controlling everything and you know huh. or there's some mysterious organization that keeps track of the world's events and what what's the name of that yeah. oh i can't think of it my mind just went blank you know that catholic organization that's oh, supposedly right. uh the Illuminati. Or the something. Illuminati. Yeah. Right. What, what if it's, it's some organization like the Illuminati that's making all of this happen and and pulling the strings so that's my hypothetical to you. What if it's that actually that kind of show? I, I really doubt we're going to see aliens. I'm going to throw that out there. Okay. I don't think, I mean, looking at who's involved, Sean Ryan, Martin Campbell. Um, I don't know much about this other executive producer, but it doesn't feel like it could go in that direction. 
I think we're mo- much more likely to see something like an Illuminati, where there's somebody out there pulling the strings who's not elected in Washington, not a terrorist, but somebody with their own objectives. I would not be surprised to see that unmasked because the show does need a real bad guy. And we haven't unmasked one yet. And I doubt we're going to have the show continue and continue and continue without like a real bad guy to fight against and to defeat. Does the show need a bad guy? I don't know if I would agree with that. Um, because if, if even going back to something like Battlestar Galactica, that was a show in which, yeah, you thought the Cylons were the bad guy. Yeah. But then ultimately they weren't. And I guess you could argue that, yes, there was one bad guy primarily at the end. But right. when it, I, I find it interesting when shows don't really have a quote-unquote villain. And it's it's all just a bunch of gray. And everybody's kind of good and everybody's kind of bad at times. Yeah, well, that, and that was the case with Lost, right? I Obviously, yes, that had a – ended up having a bad guy by the end too. But for most of the show – it was just people with their own motivations. And I'd love to see the show do that. Like, let's have every side have a reason for what they're doing. Right. And I don't know how you feel about Lost, Greg, but I kind of feel like the show really went downhill <laughs> once they brought in an actual villain <laughs> and a bad guy. The last season, I mean, that's for another podcast. But yeah. yes, um, it, it is kind of the case without, with Battlestar 2. When it gets down to the nuts and bolts and the nitty gritty and they say, okay, we want to end it. Let's have there be somebody we can defeat. That is where the show kind of becomes less interesting. It's much more interesting. And I hope Last Resort can drag it out as long as possible where we don't really know who's at fault, who we need to defeat. We're just trying to put the clues together. I think the finding the clues and meeting the characters and seeing how they're affected by the events week to week that's a much more interesting direction for the show to go in than to make it black and white. I agree. And I think that's a good note to uh, wrap up this dispatch on. So before we sign off, Officer Harbin, where can people find you online and where can they find more of your work? Yeah, well, first I'd like to direct people over to the website trek.fm, where I host a Star Trek podcast called The Ready Room every week, and also to Twitter, where I am at Greg Harbin, that's G-R-E-G-H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N, where I will be talking Last Resort with people. I'll also be talking Doctor Who and Star Trek and various other things. So please uh, send me out replies and let's get into the conversation. And I'm Captain Andrew Johnson. You can follow me on Twitter at twitter.com slash writer Andrew. And you can find some more of my writing and some more of my podcasts over at filmgeekradio.com. We would love to hear your feedback on the show. You can email us at lastresort at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website. The show should be in iTunes, so check iTunes and be sure to subscribe to us on there and and, and leave us a review and let us know what you think because not only is that helpful for us, but it also helps get the word out about the show. Uh, Don't forget you can find other great podcasts over at Film Geek Radio, including Cinema Fix, Let's Get Real, and The Thin Place. Officer Harbin, it's time to sign off. I concur. Insert your key into the firing mechanism. Three... Three Two, one. 
This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio. Yeah.